The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest of the Society of St. Pius V. And he also serves as a pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you this evening? Very fine time yourself. Just the same, Father. Good to see you. Yes, great to be here. Father, uh, prayer requests to begin the program tonight? Always, Tom. Yeah, quite a list. I don't know if I can actually name all, but... Um, I don't know if everyone wants to be named, um, but all of those I mentioned last time, I ask your continued prayers for Mr. Paul Riley and his family, of course, and uh, uh, for the father of Art Papa also. Uh, father's metastasized cancer, and uh, so they're trying to uh, help him in any way they can. Uh, your prayers will certainly help. And, uh, of course, there are many others. A young, young fellow, uh, Luke Kunkel, has uh, suffered some serious health problems in the last uh, few days. You're probably aware of that. Yes. I imagine that, of course, Bernie Kunkel still needs our prayers. He's recovering, we hope, by the grace of God. And, uh, you know, I think of Joe and Donna and Cliff. I haven't talked to Cliff yet, if he wants his name up in lights, but uh, our doctors are concerned about cancer for him, too. So um, there are so many, many other good souls out there. Uh, Monica, again, I, I have mentioned her name and last name in the past. I, I never really got authorization to do so, so I'm a little reluctant. But uh, Monica, resurgence of cancer, so please pray for her. She's a dear mother of many children. Um, some are still small, at least. So uh, uh, please keep her in your prayers, and as I say, um, I, I ask for prayers for all of those on the Immaculate Heart of Mary prayer list. And the reason why I consider it the Immaculate Heart of Mary prayer list is because it says in the Gospel that Our Lady kept all these things in her heart, all the things that happened to her, uh, all of the events in our Lord's life. Uh, Our Lady kept in her heart, is what the Gospel tells us on two occasions. So that's a very good place to enclose all of our intentions, in the heart of our Blessed Mother, because she never forgets, right? And they're all dear to her. Uh, so even more dear to her than they are to us, frankly. Because her son, uh, her divine son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, gave his life for them. So her care for them is far greater than ours. So we entrust them all to her care. If you pray for all of those who are in Our Lady's Immaculate Heart, on the Immaculate Heart of Mary prayer list, Our Lady knows who they are. And... Uh, she will certainly make them known to our Lord. <laughs> so. Okay, very good. Well, Father, we have uh, some viewer email as well, some current events on the uh, agenda tonight. Um, and we wanted to start with the uh, upcoming coronation and uh, the United Kingdom of uh, King Charles III um, will happen this Saturday, I believe. And uh, one of our viewers uh, wrote in and asked if uh, traditional Catholics should watch the ceremony, knowing that it is a Protestant service. 
Uh, and he also asks if they should swear the public coronation oath, knowing that the king is a notorious and public heretic. Well, Tom, it just amazes me that uh, the American people, any of the American people, have the slightest interest in the in the British royal family. Right? Um, I don't. I have no under understanding why there is any interest for this whatsoever, uh, because I have none, except from a historical point of view. And from a historical point of view, it's not pretty, right? <laughs> not at all. So um, uh, I guess I'm just totally mystified, but for the fact that maybe there are Americans who just kind of have some kind of uh, longing for royalty uh, uh, and royal houses and things like that. Um, uh, but other than that, I just don't get it. Um, but in any case, um, when you talk about the upcoming uh, coronation of Charles, right? Mm -hmm. um, as uh, descendant along the lines of from Henry VIII and uh, so on, um, and from Elizabeth the, the first, right? Uh, you're talking about someone who is considered to be the, the head of the church in England, and this is supposed to be the church that Christ established, and of course it's not. So it is a radical church, say the least. And so that coronation does uh, provoke some very serious uh, Catholic reactions, you know, saying it is simply something that we cannot really recognize. If there, because uh, it goes back to uh, King Henry, whose coronation oath involved uh, loyalty and fidelity to the Supreme Pontiff at the time, the Catholic Church, and and uh, he was even awarded the uh, title of Defender of the Faith, you know, against the Protestant heresies, against Luther, and his errors, and um, for the sake of. Uh, his uh, desire to produce an heir uh, uh, who would be, uh, you know, a king to succeed him in England, he forfeited his faith. He re re repudiated his faith, actually, and um, died, you know, outside the Catholic faith and claiming himself, requiring his subjects to take an oath, recognizing him as the supreme head of the church in England. So he was the pope in England, which no Catholic could actually do in good conscience. Thomas St. Thomas More was a Example of that it was the oath of supremacy that actually was the main issue there. So uh, I, I just don't see not only my Catholics are interested in this, but how any of them could even think for a moment of, of pledging allegiance. Could you could you read what what this is about exactly? I, I, I bet many of our own uh, readers and viewers have no idea what you mean by by this. <laughs> And uh, I know it, it has to do with something novel, something new, like the, accepting the homage, the homage of the people, right? <clears throat> like an, uh, a pledge of allegiance to Charles, his heirs, and his successors, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, not only by the people of the realm of England, right, but of other realms who are invited to all pledge allegiance throughout the world. Invite, uniting supposedly millions of voices, right, yeah. and pledging allegiance to Charles. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Could you could you actually give us the exact terms of this, please? Sure. Yeah. If I could read read a little snippet from uh, some of the news sure. reports on this. They That'd say, be good. Um, 
In a controversial new addition to the ancient ceremony, the Archbishop of Canterbury will call on the public in the UK and quote-unquote other realms to make the pledge and what is called the homage of the people. This will replace the previous homage of peers, which for centuries expected dukes, the highest hereditary title of nobility in the UK, to swear their, their allegiance to the crown. And the actual uh, text of the actual uh, oath says that, I swear that I will pay true allegiance to your majesty and to your heirs and successors according to law, so help me God. Mm -hmm. Oh, and that is the text of the oath that is given to them. Could you repeat mm -hmm. that? Yes, sir. The exact words that they're they're uh, invited to to uh, to say uh, with to basically wherever they are in the world, they're supposed to say these words to Charles, right? Mm -hmm. I swear that I will pay true allegiance to your Majesty and to your heirs and successors according to law. So help me God. And. Uh, I consider that to be an outrage, you know, uh, to invoke the name of God, for especially, to, to swear that, right? That is truly an oath. Uh, allegiance, well, I guess one could, cons you know, parse that word a, a little bit. What do they mean by that? But to Charles's heirs and successors, mm -hmm. uh, that sounds like something that not only no Catholic could legitimately take, but... I don't see how any human being could take that, honestly, mm -hmm. uh, to Charles's heirs and successors. You know, it's it's, it's I think it's outrageous. By the way, um, you know the coronation of Charles is actually a religious ceremony. It is a religious rite. The coronation is a a religious rite. Uh, even the the title of it authorized by the most reverend and right honorable Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, not Catholic, certainly, okay, but actually the Archbishop of Canterbury of the Anglican uh, Communion, which uh, actually Charles is considered to be the head of, right? And uh, this uh, Justin Welby, a layman, you know, and not Catholic, a lay, a lay heretic, has authorized a liturgy. It's, it's actually called the Authorized Liturgy for the Coronation Rite, R-I-T-E, of His Majesty King Charles III. And so, you know, you wonder how any Catholic could even uh, be present for it other than simply as an observer without, uh, you know, worshiping in this litur liturgical rite or consenting to it even. You know, Pope Pius V, St. Pius V, said that since um, the uh, Henry and, well, Elizabeth had violated their coronation oath in repudiating the Catholic religion and espousing Protestantism, they were, they were the, those who had um, sworn an oath of fealty to them were not subject to them, and uh, that they, in violating their coronation oath, had it forfeited the office, or the the the, the dignity, the um, the royal throne, of the king or queen of England, right? This is what provoked the persecution, or was they used as the pre the pretext for the persecution? This is why uh, priests um, uh, were being executed as traitors, right? Against because they were 
looked upon as guilty of uh, rebellion as the king and queen of England. Um, so, you know, we Catholics looking back at this find this bloody history of England, Henry and his escapades, right? Uh, uh, basically, how does it go? Uh, you know, he had a series in six, six, through six women, right? He went to, uh, you know, repudiating Catherine and then murdering uh, uh, Anne Boleyn, the one for whom he had uh, repudiated Catherine, right? And then putting away, what was it, Anne of Cleves, right? And uh, then uh, going through the whole process again, right? Uh, a second time, the same three steps. Um, it's just uh, a very sordid affair uh, that brought the, the so-called Church of England into existence. And so uh, I don't see how any Catholic uh, could even rejoice at this, uh, take it seriously, um, and certainly could not pronounce any such oath as they're, they're inviting people to take around the world to Charles, right? I think that they even refer to him as the protector of, of all or something like that. Don't they refer to him as some, by some grand title? As far as I'm concerned, uh, I mean, I don't know if he's a Freemason or not, but he should be, uh, according to his, his tenets. And he's very, very big on population control, yeah. the World Economic Forum, and the whole, that whole program that of, uh, of the Great Reset. So how on earth is anybody seriously going to take any, uh, any, make any statement of allegiance to, to him and what he stands for? I, I have no... You know, I hope this is not a declaration of war, you know? but I mean, the declaration of war, I think, has already been made, not by me. Yeah. So anyway, the, the answer to the question is absolutely not. How would you, uh, what, what type of advice would you give to uh, any traditional Catholics in, in England and the UK? How should they view this, this whole matter? What should they do? I think they should view it as an outrage and uh, say it's against their conscience and against their faith and we will have nothing to do with it. But should they be obedient to their king? Is he a lawful king over them? Well, uh, yeah, but civilly, by civil law, yeah, I guess they, could, they, they would say in terms of civil law, well, again, you know, to what extent does the king even have authority? Supposedly, uh, Elizabeth had the authority to basically uh, not necessarily outright veto legislation, but to prevent it from being in, enacted. I think Elizabeth II, whom they're lionizing now because actually she went along with the, with the woke ideology. She really did. Yeah. Um, and, um, and Charles certainly does that and more. Um, but I understand that, that Elizabeth did have the power, for example, to withstand the abortion onslaught in, in England and so many other things with the LGBTQ uh, um, uh, onslaught, right, that is going on, the, um, that she had the power to hold that back, and she didn't do it. So I assume that whatever powers she allegedly had it, with regard to political affairs and legal affairs in England, that Charles would have that same power. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um so, I mean, insofar as he has any real 
uh, legal authority in England as a, a civil servant, uh, then they could acknowledge that. Yeah. But certainly not as the head of the church in England, not so far as he's a religious figure, certainly. Mm. By no means could they acknowledge that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, we will... Uh... Pray for uh, that whole situation, Father. Hope that uh, the best comes out of it. Mm -hmm. But uh, there was another um, current event that uh, one of our, actually several of our viewers have, have asked about. Um, wanting to get your opinion on Father about a. Uh... Oh, by the way, yeah, sure. I, I'm so sorry. No, it's fine. But you know, <clears throat> since the subject came up, yeah. and I imagine there are people who are actually interested in this. Let me just put a capstone on this. You know, you turn the page from this authorized liturgy for the coronation rite of His Majesty King Charles III. That's to take place on Saturday, May 6th, 2023, at 11 a.m. in Westminster Abbey. And uh, the right, the Most Reverend and Right Honorable Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, has approved this. The front page, or the, the interior page, says this. The ceremony will begin <clears throat> with the procession of faith leaders and representatives of faith communities. So I said, this is a liturgical rite, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. That's what it begins with. The ceremony begins with a procession of faith leaders and representatives of faith communities. And then it's followed by the procession of ecumenical leaders, which is followed by the realms procession, which is basically the national flags are being carried then the procession of the choir, then the procession of the king and the queen, and then the greeting of the, of the king. And um, as children of the kingdom of God, they're welcoming him as their king. In the name of the king of kings, they're welcoming him as their king. And, um, and then there's a moment of silent prayer. So I, I just say that because if anybody is really of a mind to contest this idea that it is a religious liturgical rite they say you have to read what it actually says and there's no there's no argument possible to deny that it is a religious rite and something that Catholics could not participate in yeah right. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt no, you there. No, that's good well um father in the uh, state of Georgia the uh, the lone um, Novosordo Carmelite Monastery there um, is, is being being forced to shut down. Apparently there, there was an apostolic visitation, mm. I guess, uh, sometime in 2022. And um, there wasn't really apparently a whole lot of, lot of reasons given for this. They were just ordered to, uh, to shut down. They um, haven't really uh, apparently provided any direction for any of the, uh, the nuns, the Carmelite nuns that, and sisters that, that were there. Mm. Um, even the, the old How ones. many uh, sisters are there? Do you know, they're contemplative nuns, actually. Yeah, um, I don't off the top of my head, Father. No. Okay. I could uh, I find. I think that community they say has been there since 1958. Okay. Um, so it's been at the invitation of the bishop there, mm -hmm. who said he needed the prayers yeah. to be the spiritual foundation of all of the Catholic work in the diocese, right? So he was really speaking as a Catholic bishop, really. Yeah. He understood the, understood the necessity of these powerhouses of prayer that were the contemplative communities yeah. back in 1958. Yeah, yeah, so, but but apparently now it's just been ordered to shut down. Um, the older nuns, they've kind of told them just find yeah. a nursing home somewhere. Uh, yes, Tom, I had heard that that there's one nun who's about 90 years old, and basically they just told her go 
find a nursing home. Just just go to a nursing home. A contemplative sister after all these years. Just go find a nursing home. Uh, this is criminal from a spiritual point of view. And uh, telling the other nuns just to get out, to clear out. They want the property. This happens, this has happened more than once. I mean, there, there are a number of instances of this happening around the world where uh, Merciful Francis, Francis the Merciful, right, is presiding over the dispossession of these religious communities that all have in common that they are traditional in their observance, right? In their observance of the of a Catholic traditional way of life. He is uh, he's, uh, murdering them. He's annihilating them, uh, dispersing them. And uh, um, so, uh, unfortunately, this is a, a case right here, basically, in the Carolinas, right? And Georgia. And uh, Georgia, I'm sorry, yeah. So, um, but it's not the first, it won't be the last. But the idea is, uh, ultimately, you know, you don't know how much of it is motivated by a hatred for the traditional Catholic religious way of life. Um, how much of it is greed, that they want their property because they have prime property, and it could be worth millions of dollars, right? Uh, and heaven knows Francis uh, has found a way to uh, pretty much bankrupt the church. Right? You look at what's going on with the Vatican. Uh, right now, the Institute of Public Works, the Vatican Bank, and all of the intrigue and the scandal associated with it, I mean, since, since the, the, the Novus Ordo came in after Vatican II, the Vatican Bank is a subject of so much scandal. It's like endless scandal going on there. Um, with money laundering and, and collusion with the Masonic lodges uh, in Italy, and just the whole history is so sordid. And uh, the money grasping and money grubbing of their investments, even investing in, in the production of pornographic films. Um, <clears throat> It's, it's a very sordid story, but this is what modernism is all about. This is what the Novus Ordo is all about. They, they try to sound so, so uh, well, the word sanctimonious is not very popular these days, but it's true. They try to give us the impression of being so, you know, Francis the Pious and Francis the Merciful, and just the opposite is the, tr is the truth. Mm -hmm. It's Francis, though, he, uh, he has, I don't know, paid lip service, I guess, to, to the idea. He said that... Um, that these cloistered religious, that they are, uh, I think he said, the, the beating heart mm -hmm. of the church or something. He asked, I think the article said, he, he asked rhetorically if they would be better out, um, you know, going out and, and, and the, serving some kind of mission. And he said no, mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, they should remain there in the cloister because they're the beating heart of the church. Mm -hmm. Well, how, how could he say that? Um, and then, this, is, this is classic Francis, saying one thing and doing exactly the opposite. I mean, if he really believes that's the beating in the heart of the church, why is he plunging, plunging a dagger into it? You know, uh, this is this is Francis's uh, really modus operandi here. Yeah. And uh, but this is classic modernism, Tom, to say one thing and to do another, the the exact opposite, in fact, act exactly contrary to the piety they are expressing. Express the piety and then pull the rug out from under it, or set fire to it, or destroy it somehow. And uh, we see Francis doing this over and over again, and people falling for it. Why? <clears throat> because it seems that pious people are moved by pious words. And they're, they're pacified by pious words, almost love to sleep, uh, 
lulled to sleep by pious words. They say, oh, isn't that lovely? And uh, meanwhile, you know, there's destruction going on all around them. But it's so they're mesmerized by the pious words, by the rhetoric. Uh, I mean, the pro-lifers in this country have let politicians get away with this, where they say these pro-life things and then vote pro-death over and over again. And, the, and you know, the, the pro-lifers, so-called, are saying, oh, but he says such wonderful pro-life things, you know. Um, surely he must mean them. And they're so naive because they can't see how somebody would say these things and then act contrary to them, as though somebody was being dishonest. They just can't seem to fathom the idea uh, that somebody could actually say these true things and then act contrary to them. And yet we see the politicians doing that over and over and again. And this is why politics has such an evil name, you know, why the word politician has such an evil ring to us right, right now, right? Um, well, I'd have to say Francis is definitely a politician in the way he, in the way he governs. He's, either, he's ruthless in the way he governs. At the same time, he, he, he wants everybody to see him as a lamb. Well, underneath that lamb's wool, we know what's there. There's a, there's a wolf there uh, biting and snatching the sheep. And with these uh, religious sisters, these cloistered sisters in Georgia, they are unfortunately... Uh, you know, in his jaws right now. Yeah. I don't think there'll be any mercy for them. Wow. Maybe somebody will invite them to come and say, look, you can, you can come here and live your religious life here, and you have the autonomy you need to do so. <clears throat> they obviously would have to escape, escape from the clutches of Francis in order to do that, though. Mm-hmm. Brother, how could uh, anyone with any kind of real traditional Catholic faith uh, stay within the Novus Ordo when they see things like this happening? Well, Tom, that is the, that's the big question right now, you know, because they feel that they're compelled to, because they feel that, uh, well, no matter what happens, no matter what he says or what he does, he's absolutely the Pope, and you can't question, even for a moment, you can't even doubt that. And we have to stay with him as, as, as the, the Pope, no matter what he does, no matter what he says. This is their attitude. But they don't seem to realize, they, they think, well, gee, denying that he's the Pope, and there are so many consequences to that, you know? And they're right. I mean, there are serious consequences to Even doubting the fact that he is the Supreme Pontiff has some serious consequences. I, I admit that. I agree with that. But they don't seem to realize that there are some very serious consequences, equally serious, even in many ways, more serious consequences to saying that he is the Pope, he must be the Pope, we can't even question it. There are very serious consequences for that. I mean, is it a serious thing not to follow a true Pope? Yes. Is it a very serious thing to follow a false Pope? Yes. <laughs> the Church has said, that's a very serious matter too. Uh, and, you know, they have to weigh, well, there are serious consequences either way here. So what does the Church actually say about a case like this? What should a Catholic do? Yes, the Church has always given the same answer throughout all of its history. In times of confusion, when we can't really, really answer all the questions uh, that are on the table, we, we automatically go to practice the traditional faith in its entirety, and we don't deviate from that. And that's what Catholics should do now. They should um, find true traditional priests who still practice the traditional Catholic faith, 
and they should uh, begin practicing the traditional Catholic faith themselves. This is what the Church has said a Catholic must do in times of, of confusion and, uh, and chaos and, uh, and so on. And that's, that's exactly what we have now. The Church's wisdom in this has been proven many times over in the history of the Church, during times of persecution, during times of uh, interregna, you know, when popes died, and during times of heresy. The default mode, as it were, that every Catholic should go back to is to the traditional faith and practice the traditional faith. Read the traditional catechism, know the traditional catechism, believe and profess the traditional catechism, and practice the traditional Catholic faith in terms of the Mass and the sacraments and all the other practices of the Church. That's the safe haven, always, everywhere. Those who want to follow the modernists off on their Mad Hatter's Tea Party wild ride, uh, they, they, they're actually gradually losing the faith, is mm -hmm. what they're doing. I could, uh, I could see someone, though, rather responding. Um, I, I know that you've, you've definitely addressed this before, but I think it is a, one of the most common questions is where you, you hear people say that uh, something like they, they do want to do what you said and, and remain loyal to the traditional Catholic faith, but they also want to uh, remain within the, the structure of the uh, current Novus Ordo Catholic Church. How would, how would you uh, respond to someone who had that idea that they wanted to be a traditional Catholic, but within the confines of the Well, you might as well say, structure. well, I want to be a traditional Catholic, but I want to remain within the structure of the Missouri Synod Lutheran or the Anglican Church, okay, the high Anglican Church. Why can't I just be a traditional Catholic and remain within the structure of the Anglican Church? And they would say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They rejected the Pope. We want to do it because we recognize the Pope. But, but that's begging the question. The point is, if you have to try to find a way to practice the traditional Catholic faith within the structure of the Novus Ordo, you're already saying there's a contradiction there. You're already saying there's a problem there. I have to somehow find a way to practice my traditional Catholic faith within the Novus Ordo when Francis is trying to stop me and is actually on record multiple times as saying, stop that. This, this does not... As he said, of the Ro traditional Roman Catholic Mass, the traditional Roman liturgy, it doesn't express the, the mind of the Church and the faith of the Church at this time. So they're living a contradiction. They're in fairyland. They're trying to ignore. They're, say they're saying, well, we're going to be loyal to the papacy and loyal to, the, to, to Francis by doing this when he's telling them, stop that, stop that. He's doing everything he can to, to, to crush them. <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're living a contradiction. And uh, that's, that's not going to, that never ends well. <laughs> um, How does it end though, Father? Because it seems that that um, contingent of people is, is growing. It's a very popular sentiment to think that way. Well, there are people who, who are waking up to that and realizing, you know, this doesn't make sense. Uh, here, here we are fighting Francis all the way. So I'm staying in the Novus Ordo to fight Francis. Uh, because I'm, I can going to try to find a way to practice the traditional faith within. I mean, there there are even uh, clergymen who belong to the fraternity of Saint Peter, and say, "Well, we have authorization from the Holy See to, you know, be doing this, uh, you know, using the traditional rite, at least the 1962 rite." And uh, those other priests um, don't have the authority, so you can't go to them. They don't have the authorization to do this. But you ask them, well. Well, what if Francis were to absolutely forbid you 
to you know access to the traditional the 1962 liturgy and ordered you to say the Nuvis Order. Would you say it? And they would say, and so many of them would outright, if they're being honest, some of them are, would say, no, I wouldn't do that. I would not obey that. He can't do that. He has no right to do that. Well, how, how are they uh, pontificating about this and anathematizing all the priests who don't have the authorization for brasses to do what every Catholic priest should be doing anyway? Uh, and... Um, you know, and holding up the fact that they have some kind of certification from Francis. So look, Francis says it's okay for us to be doing this. We know he doesn't want us to be doing this. We know he's trying to stop us from doing this. But, you know, we have this little piece of paper right here that says, um, celebrate. So, you know, you're, this is a safe haven for you, where you can be within the, the, the fold of Francis's embrace and still, you know, try as well as possible to practice the traditional Catholic faith and religion at the same time. And uh, as I say, I mean, the attitude of, of most of them, maybe all of them, if you were to survey them uh, honestly, put them under oath and have them ask that question, that they wouldn't do it. They would not submit to that. Uh, um, I, I know that uh, in certain individual cases because the question has been put to them. What would you do? And they answered honestly and straightforwardly, well, I wouldn't obey that because it's, uh, he has no authority to do that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, you know, what amazes me most of all, uh, Tom, is that you get these, these younger, well, I won't even say younger. I mean, for me, younger now is 50, okay? Um, uh, so, you know, you, you get those in their 50s and, uh, and, and younger than that, and they are attacking the traditional priests, like myself, who uh, are, are functioning uh, without the authority of Francis, without his okay, right? Outside the diocesan structure, subject to Francis. And all we're doing is, is practicing the faith. And we're, we're just uh, teaching and practicing the traditional Catholic faith and enabling people to do that. They say, well, they can't do that. They're not authorized to do that. You know, that's forbidden. They're schismatic. And, uh, you know, you, you talk to them and say, well, wh- where were you in 1975? Maybe they weren't even born yet. Uh, where were you in 1980? Where were you in 1985? Some of them were born. They probably weren't at that time. Uh, the priests of the SSP and so on. But, um, but many of them would tell you, well, you know, we went to a traditional temple. We went to a, my family went to a traditional temple back then. And who was offering the Mass? A priest who wasn't authorized. Because from 1968 or so, when 1970, when they imposed the new Mass, to 1988, until when uh, John Paul II issued his uh, you know, authorization of Ecclesia Dei, um, giving some latitude for offering the, tra- the quasi-traditional Latin Mass within the diocese, subject to the bishop's con- strict controls, uh, it was strictly forbidden. And so all the priests who were offering the traditional Mass were operating there without the authorization of Rome. They were, they were operating in spite of the condemnations that were coming from the bishops of the diocese. And, um, and so these tradition, traditional priests now, you know, of the indult variety, approved by Rome for the time being, um, um, you know, they, they, they say priests who are doing now what priests were doing then, and they approved of it. And they, 
you know, they, they what did that would they go back and condemn and say, okay, for those eighteen years or so from seventy to eighty eight, you shouldn't have been doing that. You shouldn't have been offering that mass. And then what would have happened then? There would have been no one. Where would they be? Yeah. It was only because priests held on to the traditional mass and the traditional sacraments during that time that they even have a fraternity of St. Peter today or an Institute of Christ the King. So it just amazes me that they would have the audacity, the nerve, actually, to point the finger and, and condemn uh, those who withered the, uh, weathered the storm, as it were, and held on to the traditional mass and, and the faith, as though now we have authorization. Well, where did they get that from? And how did that even happen? That it was even found necessary to allow them to do that from 1988 onward. But because of the priests who before them were willing to stand up for the faith and, you know, and it just simply brave the withering blast from, from the Vatican and the diocesan seas, you know. So in any case, uh, there I've had my rant. But uh, it, it does amaze me at their, their lack of, of historical perspective. And I think to some extent even, even a certain amount of dishonesty. Mm-hmm. Sad to say. Yeah. Well, what about the argument, though, that uh, says we have to stay in this Novus Ordo uh, church because we, uh, you know, we have to um, just carry on as, as we have been, and hopefully one day we're going to have a, uh, you know, real traditional Catholic elected to the papacy again, and then he's going to uh, kind of make, make all things right. And well, you know, all these Novus Ordo is just, just my point to them would be by doing that, you are actually legitimizing the Novus Ordo. I mean, either you recognize the Novus Ordo as a different uh, faith, modernism, and a different religion, the Novus Ordo, the new, the new order, right? Because it is a religion unto itself, uh, which was actually meant to uh, replace the traditional Catholic religion. Those who intro- introduced the Novus Ordo made no bones about it. They, they did not keep it a secret in any way that the, no, the new order that came in after Vatican II, the new order of religion, the new mass, new sacraments, was absolutely meant to replace the traditional mass and meant to replace the traditional sacraments and basically make them go away forever, okay? Um, they were meant to substitute for them uh, and annihilate them, ultimately. Uh, Francis is as much as said so, actually. On his, uh, what was it, uh, uh, Traditionis Custodes, or whatever he called it, right? He as much as says that. That this was the ultimate plan, really. Um, so, my my question to people who say, "Well, I'm going to practice the traditional faith within the Novus Ordo," is, "Well, do you recognize the Novus Ordo as being the, the the Catholic religion? Is it equivalent? Is it a Catholic religion, and thus equivalent and even identical with the traditional Catholic faith and religion and mass and sacraments?" And I think most of the people who would say that will say, "No, it's not." That's why I'm holding to the traditional faith and the traditional sacraments. <clears throat> but I'm just doing this as, ex- as expedient to get away with it within the Novus Ordo because I want to be legitimate, you know? I, I-, I want to be looked upon as legitimate. And you say, well, wait a minute. If it's not the same faith and not the same religion, um, how can you pr- pretend that it is by claiming, well, I belong, to- I belong within the realm of that church, and there is my allegiance, but I'm not. I reject the the modernist faith which inspires it, and I reject the modernist the Novus Ordo religion. It is the practice of that modernist faith, and you reject that. 
You say, well, you know, is that not dishonest? Is it not scandalous? And furthermore, I would ask them, well, you know, how many different religions do you believe that is the one true Church of Christ? Do you believe that is the one that the Novus Ordo is structured? Do you believe that is the one true Church of Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ established? And some of them would say yes, and some of them would say no. And if they say no, I'd say, well, then how can you pretend to be part of it? Right? Would that not be scandalous and even commit a conscientiosocracy and Socrates and just basically a bald-faced lie before God and man? And if you say it is the church as established by Christ, <clears throat> I would say, well, you have your faith, which is not their faith. How many different faiths can you have in the same religion, in the same church? You know, if you say this is the one true church and I have to be a part of it and practice the traditional faith and, and, and um, religion within that one true church, <clears throat> but what they've got now is not my faith and it's what they're practicing is not my religion, I'm going to hold to my own faith and my own religion within that. Then I, would, I have to ask them, well, how many different faiths and how many different religions can you have in one true, in one true church? And just even asking the question, one church, can you have multiple faiths in the same church? True or not? You know, only in a false church can you have multiple faiths. Only in a false church can you have multiple religions, right? You can have multiple gods in a false church, right? I mean, the pagans did, right? Look at the pantheon. But if you have multiple gods and multiple faiths and multiple church, multiple religions, in the same church, it's guaranteed not to be the one true church of Christ. It can't be. By definition, it can't be. And so those who actually uh, presume to do that, or attempt to do that, to practice the traditional Catholic faith within the auspices of the Novus Ordo, are actually already conceding that the Novus Ordo and modernism are true because it's the very essence of the modernist and Novus Ordo idea that you, <clears throat> of ecumenism, that you can have multiple faiths and multiple religions under the same big tent church. And this is their ultimate goal, to actually extend the big tent church to cover basically the one world religion. Uh, and uh, of all these different beliefs and all these different religious practices, there's a place for them all in the modern pantheon. Those who, who are, are trying to practicing the, the traditional Catholic faith within that are actually making the argument for the fundamental principle of modernism. Yes, you can have multiple conflicting different faiths within the same church. And I'm proof positive because I'm practicing the traditional faith within the Novus Ordo and its modernism. Do you understand what I mean, Tom? Yes, sir. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't see why people can't, can't get that, uh, that they're giving away everything by trying mm -hmm. to try, try that impossible task of practicing the traditional Catholic faith within the modernist Novus Ordo. Well, it does seem, though, Father, I can see how one would think that they were giving up a lot by uh, leaving the Novus Ordo structure because then they would be, um, you know, with this, this traditional Catholic plan that you've outlined there doesn't really seem to be any path to ever restoring normalcy in, in the church. There doesn't really seem to be any way that um, that a, a valid traditional Catholic pope could ever be elected again. And so there's just a lot of, a lot of uh, question marks there. And so it would seem... Well, as I say, Tom, I mean, there, there are serious questions either way. I, I acknowledge that. I've already said that. I agree. 
that there are serious, serious questions, but there is a serious question the other way too. And that is, if you acknowledge that Francis, with all that he's said and done, can without question be a true pope and a vicar of Christ on earth, which title he himself has repudiated already, then what are you doing to the papacy? And are you not actually annihilating the very concept of the papacy? That is a central part of the Catholic faith. So you might say, gee, if I reject Francis, then uh, I'm, I'm really cut adrift. And what future you know, do we have as far as having a true pope? But my question is, if you acknowledge Francis, especially without question, then, then you've just annihilated the, the, the traditional concept of the papacy, which is an essential part of the Catholic faith. Dogma of faith. So there's a price to pay in acknowledging Francis too. And there are many traditional Catholics who actually see that. They see. They can understand the argument from the other side. Well, gee, you know, if I don't accept Francis, then what's the future, you know, hold for us? You know, where do we have another Pope come from? And frankly, I don't have an answer to that question. I doubt that you do. I don't even know that most of the traditional Catholics have an answer to that question. Those who say at least even doubt Francis as the Pope, some outright deny it. They can, you know, that's their opinion. They can't dogmatically decree that. They have no authority to do so. <clears throat> but if you were to ask them, well, where, where would we ever get another Pope? How could we ever have another Pope if, if that's true? And I think most of them would say, well, I don't know. I just trust in God. He knows. God knows. But you say, well, then you realize that this, this presents, a, presents a real problem. And you say, well, I do realize that. But I, but I realize it actually presents an even greater problem. That right now, if I acknowledge that Francis unequivocally, uh, without any question, was a true vicar of Christ on earth and a pontiff, the Roman pontiff, then I would be making the decision that a Roman pontiff doesn't have to have the Catholic faith. And uh, that he can pronounce things that are um, very scandalous and in many, many ways by action deny the Catholic faith, even bringing pagan idols in to be worshipped in the churches of Rome. And I'm not ready to acknowledge that that is, that is right, that that is true. I just don't see how that is possible for a true pope to do something like that without at least his papacy being called into question. So they're saying, yes, I see the problem the other way, but I see a greater problem with that. And I see the problem with acknowledging that is, is actually denying the very meaning of the, the office of the papacy, which is basically apostate, losing the faith. It's heresy. You know? I mean, if you say that a heretic can be the pope, but somebody who actually um, you know, partakes, he actually partook in this, the worship of pagan idols with impunity, and it has no reflection whatsoever on his faith, or at least on his papacy. Then there are those who would honestly say, I think I would be denying the faith and agreeing to that. The question of how God can provide the future, I trust in God, he knows the answer to that, I don't know, it's beyond my, my ken. But right now I'm convinced that if I unequivocally accepted for Francis, as the supreme pontiff of the Catholic Church and the vicar of Christ on earth, and, and so on, I would be actually denying the faith right here and now by saying that. that, that that's how many people see it. Why is it so hard for some people just to 
trust in God and accept that he has a plan for the future? They actually turn it around. They say, well, you deny that Francis the Pope, you don't, you, you, you're saying that Christ, you know, Christ's word has failed and the church has defected. By saying that Francis has defected, you're saying the church has defected, essentially. And you don't have any trust in God. You know, you've got to have trust in God. That's what they say. They, they say that traditional Catholics who question the papacy of Francis don't have trust in God. But the, the real, the actual fact is, what holds them back from acknowledging the problem with Francis is that they don't have trust in God. They really don't have trust that God can work this out and make, make this, uh, bring us through this. I mean, there were many when our Lord died on the cross, as you know, like everybody except the Blessed Mother, who, uh, who thought that's over. I mean, you know, he's dead. And they had to be convinced that he'd risen and he lives. You know? I mean, even St. John, who stood under the cross, that he watched our Lord die. St. Peter, who was in hiding at the time, had to be convinced, you know. It says they believed, and yet they, there was just something, they, they were torn, like, yes, I, I believe that he, he was risen, but, but how is it even possible? Uh, and Thomas, you know, with the with saying, unless I put my fingers into the holes of the nails and my hand into his side, I will not believe. So, um, you know, but the fact is, uh, traditional Catholics are the ones who actually have faith today, facing the reality of the situation, that God has the power to, to solve all of this. God has the power to make this turn out right. Uh, there may have been those back in the time of uh, the Great Western Schism who actually were tempted to think there's no way out of this, the church has reached impasse, we don't see any possible solution. And every time a solution is proposed, it just makes the problem worse, like metastasizing cancer. Um, and they might have had their faith shaken. But there were those who did not have their faith shaken who said, no, God has the power to fix this. We don't know how he can do it, but we know he can. And, uh, you know, it, it's the faith that is necessary for those. Um, like, it's the faith that is necessary that our Blessed Mother had. When our Lord died on the cross, we today are called upon to have the faith that she had when our Lord died on the cross, that, that God has the, the power to uh, die and rise from the dead. You know, has, die as man and rise from the dead. Um, so we have to have that confidence and not refuse to, to accept reality because we just don't see how Face that that God can fix reality, so we we have to deny it, and we have to find some other expedient to explain it. Um, so I do think that true traditional Catholics are really, well, we are the realists, just trying to face reality for what it is, and if it seems to be a dilemma, uh, then so be it. The Church has faced many dilemmas in her history. And in order to get through it with faith, we simply need to have confidence in Almighty God and His power. As I've said before, Tom, uh, you know, uh, the second greatest mistake we make is to overestimate our own, our own power. But the greatest mistake we made is underestimating the power of God. Over and over again we see that mistake being made. Um, and, you know, uh, traditional Catholics... Um, today, well, they, they just can't make those same mistakes. 
Um, you hear about these conferences and unite the clans and all this other stuff. Let's pull it together uh, as though they have the power to solve this problem. Um, well, the only power to solve the problem is to do what the church has said, go back to practice the traditional faith. Okay, that's the job of every Catholic person right now. Practice the traditional Catholic faith. Believe the traditional Catholic faith. Hold on, hold fast to the traditional Catholic faith, as St. Paul says. Hold fast to the traditions that you received, right? Uh, from the ancients, from the fathers, and so on. Um, but uh, I'm afraid there are many who just look at the situation today and uh, say, well, you know, they, they lose heart because they don't see that God has the power to, to um, remedy the problem. But he does. He always does. And you know, when he does, he makes it look so easy. <laughs> you know, he makes it look so easy. Who would have thought? I mean, how difficult was the resurrection? How difficult was it for our Lord to rise? It was difficult for him to die. But to rise from the dead, he had the power, right? Yes, the divine power was there, always there. So uh, the resurrection is there always. For a true Catholic, we have absolute confidence in God's power to prevail. So. Well, thank you, Father. Um, I think perhaps we can end with that. Have some... Uh, Okay. Your email that we can save for uh, for next week. But uh, any anything else? You mentioned well, there were some interesting emails there, and I guess uh, maybe we have to save that for next week. But let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Well, Father, thank you. God bless you. Uh, happy Easter time to you. Stuff. Well, thank you. I wish you the same time. Yeah. God bless you for coming up to the Peace of the Ascension. Right. Glorious is that, and it should make us all the more grateful. I mean, here our Lord went through all of this for those years of His public life, right? Constantly contending with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and even his own apostles, right? And uh, then he goes through the, the passion and death, rises from the dead, and still he's willing to spend another 40 days. <laughs> Spending, willing to spend another 40 days from his resurrection to his ascension, teaching, right? Teaching the apostles about what their mission is. So uh, we have a lot to be grateful for. We thank our Lord for his three, three and a half years of public life, but we we should thank him for those 40 days, too. It's a great, great gift from God. Well, thank you, Father. God bless you. Thank you, Tom. You, yeah. too. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What the Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you. <laughs>